the time, by all means, I will not stop you. You'd just be my little little amen corner or something, you know what I'm saying? Hey, listen, I'm going to be straight up honest with you guys this morning. Um, today will probably get me in a little bit of trouble with some people. I'm just going to be straight up with you. Um, uh, for, for most of you who know me, and I know some of y'all are here visiting, I'm just going to let you know, I've been on this journey the last, uh, last little bit. Um, where God's been kind of shifting some things in my life and, um, and how I'm viewing some things. So there's going to be a section of this that um, will probably get me, some, get me in a little bit of trouble in certain circles of our faith group. But hey, listen, what's, uh, what's ministry without a little, uh, a little, little spice? You know what I'm saying? Um, so <laughs> there's some resistance because um, I've resisted something for 32, 35 years of my life. Um, I just can't resist it no more. I can't deny that some things are real and some things are powerful. And um, just what I've experienced just in the last few weeks, of, uh, it's just like, if you, if you would have told me, I would have, and I'm not going to go into too much detail, if you would have told me that, I, that what I experienced a few weeks ago was real, I would have been like, you are an idiot. Um, read your Bible. But it's just been a crazy, I'm not even going to drink my water. Um, it's been a crazy little bit of space here. And and then I happened, we're going through the book of the book of John here, and we landed in this chapter today that's just like, it, like I can't refuse not to talk about some stuff. And and so if you're visiting with us today, I don't mean to be scary. In fact, I hope this gives you some hope and a future. Um, if, you're, if you're coming in here, you're not a believer. I just want you to know that Christ has something for you too, and that we and you, you like you're here for a reason more than just inflatables. You're here to encounter Jesus. Jesus wants to set you free this morning, right? And maybe you're here and you're a believer. And you're just like, I've been in this rut. And I want you to know that this morning he says that, that he wants to set you free too. But I want to start today by reading this quote by a guy. He's not, I would say he's a friend, but I've never met him personally. But I've listened to him a whole lot. And his name is John Piper. And John Piper has this quote. He says, the key to Christian living is a thirst and hunger for God. It's key. The key to Christian living is a thirst and a hunger for God. And one of the, one of the main reasons people, uh, people do not understand or experience sovereignty of, the sovereignty of grace and the way it works through the awakening of sovereign, sovereign joy is that their hunger and thirst for God is so small. Like, that's us, the church, the people who claim to be believers. So if you're in here, you're not a believer, and you're like, you're questioning all this, you'd be like, yeah. You're not really following the God you say that you worship. You, you tracking with me? See, I think this is the issue. This is what plagues the church today. It's not mandates and decrees from Washington. It's not the lackluster preaching. It's not uh, organization or the lack of organization. It's not processes. It's people who lack the thirst for the Savior they claim to worship. Like we want just enough Jesus to get us to heaven, but not enough for us to have on earth. Because we want to live how we want to live. We want to we we do things the way we want to do things. And Jesus is saying, you know what? I, you need I need all of you or none of you. That's what Revelation 3, you are neither hot nor cold. You are lukewarm. I'd rather, you, I'd rather you be one or the other, but instead you make me want to vomit you out of my mouth. Do we truly hunger and thirst for God? Do we truly hunger and thirst? For, that's for us as believers. Do we truly hunger and thirst for the things of God? And I, and I, and I know I'm up here and I'm, I'm speaking to you all, but I'm going to be honest with you, this morning's for me. Can I just be clear, like the, this message is for me because this hit me hard when I was, when I was reading. It's, it's like if Jesus is who I truly hunger and thirst for, it will change every operating system of my life. Every operating system of my life. 
Every one. What about this one? Yeah, that one too. It will change, it'll change what I do with my money, how I raise my kids, how I perform at work, how I operate inside of my marriage, how I operate inside of my church, and that includes church attendance because it's not about putting butts in the seats. It's about being part of a community that lifts each other up. Like it changes everything if we truly hunger and thirst for God. We're called to lift each other up. So, Mighty, this morning's for me. I'm just getting off my chest and hope, hopefully it helps you. But um, we're picking up our walk through the book of John where Jesus has made his um, way to the Feast of Tabernacles. You know, remember last week, if you're here, I read through part of seven, uh, part of seven, chapter seven of John. And, you know, his brothers are like, why don't you go to Jerusalem? You're why you're sitting back here in the backwoods. They're all like, once you, like they're aggravating because they didn't believe him at the time that he was the Messiah. I mean, I'll be honest, if Justin comes to me and says, I'm the Messiah, I'd look at him and go, you're going to a mental institution and I'm getting a bunch of trucks. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's just where I'm at. Like, it's, all, like it's, it's understandable why they wouldn't believe that Jesus, their brother, was the Messiah of the world. And they're like aggravating him. Once you go up to the feast, once you go do this, once you go do that, and he's like, it's not my time yet. So they went on ahead and he snuck in a little bit later. All right? And he's in the temple talking. He's, he's been confronted about, he's been confronted by the religious leaders. But here's what you need to know about the Feast of Tabernacles that he's going to celebrate. It's a celebration or a commemorating the shelter of the Jewish people during their 40 years in the wilderness. They're like celebrating God's faithfulness while they were afraid to walk in the promise that they had in Jesus. You with me? That's, they're celebrating that because of their fear, Jesus still took care of them. Which is cool because it shows that, that even in our wondering, God is a provider. If you, that's a spare note I put in here today, so if you want to write that one down, it's not really has any part of the sermon today, but it's just the fact that even in, when, in your wandering, God is still going to provide for you. But it's the things that people celebrate, right? They were celebrating that in their fear, God still provided. In their, in their lackluster walk in the promised land, God still provided. And so this is kind of where we're picking up the story today. All right, John chapter 7 Starting in verse 37, it says, Then on the most important day of the feast, the last day, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowd, All the thirsty ones, all the thirsty ones, come to me, come to me and drink. Oh, that we would be a people who thirst after God. That we would be the people that just run to Jesus. That we, that we, we, that we, we would be so thirsty for him that we would forsake everything else and pursue him because it's jesus who said in matthew he said our friend matthew records jesus saying blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied the reason you're not satisfied in life is because you're thirsting after the wrong things that's why your wife always lets you down your husband always lets you down your kids let you down your jobs let you down everything that you, you try to put in that place they let you down because you're thirsting after the wrong thing Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. In fact, you're like, Derek, I don't even know if, I'm, like, I'm thirsty, but I don't know if God's hearing me. Well, here's the great news is a little bit later in Matthew, he says, ask and the gift is yours. But like Sarah was saying in the song, sometimes we ask and we're holding on to things that we should never hold on to. Ask and the gift is yours. Seek and you will discover. Knock and the door will be open for you. For every persistent one will get what he asks for. Every persistent seeker will discover what he longs for. And everyone who knocks persistently will one day find an open door. Do you not know 
do you know of any parent who would give his hungry child who asked for food a plate, a plate of rocks instead? No. Or when asked for a piece of fish, uh, what parent would offer his child a snake instead? If you, if you, imperfect as you are, know how, loving, loving, how to lovingly take care of your children and give them what's best, how much more ready is your heavenly Father to give you wonderful gifts to those who ask him? Just ask him. God, I'm so thirsty. I want more of you. I want something more. And later at the end of the book, when it's prophesying, you know, the Revelation is a prophecy of how the world will end. And at the end of the book, he, this is what the Holy Spirit says to us. He says, come, says the Holy Spirit, the, the, bride, the bride and divine duet. Let everyone who hears the duet join them in saying, come. Let everyone gripped with spiritual thirst say, come. And let everyone who craves the gift of living water come. Come and drink it freely. It is my gift to you. Come. Come. Are you thirsty? Do you want more? And Jesus is saying, come. May our prayer be the same as David the psalmist when he says, now I'm reaching out to you, you being God. God, I'm reaching out to you, thirsting for you like the dry, cracked ground thirsts for rain. And we have this promise, come and I will fill you up. I will fill you up. Are you thirsty? Well, the great news is this. Jesus goes on to say in John chapter 7, he says, Believe in me so that rivers of living water will burst out from within you, flowing from your innermost being, just like the scripture says. Just a sip will turn into a river of joy inside of you. Just a little taste of Jesus will give, give you, will quench that thing that will satisfy every part of your being. In fact, our friend Isaiah in the Old Testament, he says, for I will pour water on the thirsty land. This is God speaking through Isaiah. For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offsprings and my blessing, my blessing on your descendants. And a little later, Isaiah records, records God's, God saying, come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he will have, he who has no money, come, buy and eat, come, buy wine and milk without money and without a price. Just come, just come. That's all you have to do is just come. And a little bit later, Isaiah goes on to say, and the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desires in the scorched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a water garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Like he wants to quench your thirst. He wants to satisfy you. And with, with that, we understand that that. that if we come to him thirsty, that our cup will definitely overflow. That little sip turns into a river that bursts out of us. That's why David would also say in Psalms, Psalms 23, probably the most recognized psalm, is, as the Lord is my best friend and my shepherd, I'll, I'll always have more than enough. He offers a resting place for me in his luxur- luxurious love. He tra- he, his tracks take me to, to, uh, to an oasis of peace, the quiet brook of bliss. That's where he restores and revives my life. He opens before me pathways to God's pleasure. He leads me along his footsteps out of righteousness so that I can bring honor to his name. Lord, even, even when your path takes me through a valley of the deepest darkness, fear will never conquer me. 
for you already have. You remain close to me and lead me through all the way. Your authority is my strength and, and my peace. The comfort of your love takes, me, takes, takes my fear. I'll never be lonely for you are near. You become my delicious feast even when my enemies dare to fight. You anoint me with the fragrance of your Holy Spirit and give me all I can drink of you until my heart overflows. Till my cup runs over. He, he wants to fill you. He wants to give you peace. He wants to satisfy the very thing that you're longing, the only thing that he can do. But John goes on recording Jesus' words, and Jesus says this, talking about this water coming from the inside of you. It says, Jesus was prophesying about the Holy Spirit that believers were being prepared to receive. But the Holy Spirit had not yet been poured out upon them because Jesus had not yet been unveiled in his full splendor. But this is the part that's probably going to get me in a little bit of trouble, and it's okay. All right, I'm cool with that. When we approach God thirsty for more, he has promised us that he will baptize us in the Holy Spirit. And you're like, whoa, 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 Derek. Whoa, 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 whoa. Hold up. I'm with you. I grew up Baptist, and it still freaks me out a little bit. When we approach God thirsty for more, he baptizes us in the Holy Spirit. Like you, I, I, Derek, I don't believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but here's what we have to understand. There's a difference between indwelling and filling. Can I show you? Can I show you real quick? And then we'll move on. I just have to get, because we're here, so I have to do it. Okay? And this is, if you would ask me three years ago, I'd have been, I would have said, this is crazy. But just hang with me. If you disagree with me, it's okay. I'm fine. I'm not going to hurt my feelings. Okay? So just imagine with me. Jesus has resurrected, and now he's appearing before his disciples. And I want you to watch what happens. And John 7, 39 says, uh, go to, no, 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 you're right. John 20, 20, 21. It says, Jesus repeated his greeting. So Jesus has already walked in the room, the freaking out, you know, like, oh, my God, it's a ghost. He's like, he's like no, peace to you, peace to you. And he told them, just as the Father has sent me, I am now sending you. Then taking a deep breath, and that breath that it's talking about there is the same word used for when he gave life, when God gave life to Adam in the Old Testament. He gave breath, and he blew on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. This is salvation. At that moment, the disciples received salvation. Okay? So this is after Jesus has died. He's resurrected. He's not in his full splendor yet because, well, I'll get that in a second. I'm going ahead of myself. So Jesus blew on them, and he received the Holy Spirit in salvation and indwelling. So at salvation, you do receive the Holy Spirit, right? A spirit that leads to salvation. Now, at a later time, Jesus reappears to them. And watch, watch what he says to his disciples in Acts 1, starting in verse 4. It says, and he shared the meal with them. Jesus instructed them, Do not, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait here until you receive the gift I told you about, the gift the Father has promised. What is the promise? He promised that the Holy Spirit would come. Now, wait, 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 wait. He's already blew on them, and they've received the Holy Spirit. Now, wait, wait, what are you talking about? Okay, listen, this, um, this is what I've been dealing with the last couple of months. Okay, Jesus in, in, instructed them, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait here until you receive the, receive the gift I told you about, the gift the Father has promised. For John baptized you in water, but in a few days from now, you will be, what, baptized in the Holy Spirit. So, 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 so. he blew on them over here. Right, and said, salvation, right? You see the Holy Spirit. Now he's saying there's another time when the Spirit's going to come upon you, 
right? And you will be seized with, we'll, we'll get to that in a minute. You'll be seized with power, okay? All right? <clears throat> Keep going. Every time they were gathered together, they asked Jesus, Lord, is it the time now for you to free Israel and restore your kingdom? They totally missed it. You know what I'm saying? They totally missed it. They're like, when are you going to set up your kingdom? Like, we, we were told growing up that you would ride in, a, ride in a horse, conquer everything. He's like, no, 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 no. We're going to do it another way. You're going to receive power that comes from the Holy Spirit. Watch this. He answered them, the Father is the one who sets the fixed dates and, and the times of their fulfillment. You are not permitted to know those timing, even though it would be awesome if he would just say, I'm coming back on January, whatever. It would be good. You know what I'm saying? But he's not like that. You are not permitted to know the timing of all that he has prepared for his, for his own authority. But I promise you this. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and you will be seized with power. You can also translate that seized with power, or that you will be seized with power, okay? And, or that you would have power, and you will be my messengers or witnesses to Jerusalem, throughout Judea, the distant provinces, even to the most places on the earth. Why are you being baptized with the Holy Spirit? It's because you are to be a witness. It would be hard to be a witness, especially in the day that we're living with, without having the Spirit in control of your life, okay? And then right after this, he spoke the word, right after he spoke these words to the disciples, Jesus, Jesus lifted into the sky, disappeared into the clouds. And as they stared into the sky, because that's what people do is when they're amazed, they just stare, right? Um, watching Jesus ascend, the two men in white robes suddenly appeared beside them. They told, they told the startled disciples, Galileans, why are you standing up here, staring up into the sky? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but he will come back the same way that you saw him ascend. Okay. So, so they already have the Holy Spirit in salvation. Now he's telling them to wait here until you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the power that comes from that. And then, and then all this happened before what? Before his ascension, which is why, which is why if we go back to Psalm 739, which is just the next verse in there saying, okay, it says, Jesus was prophesying about the Holy Spirit that the believers were being prepared to receive, but the Holy Spirit had not yet been poured out upon them because Jesus had not yet been unveiled in his full splendor. And what this means, you're like, some of you are less like, okay, let's get to the other stuff. Give me a second, okay? The full splendor is the full splendor of, his, of the cross that gives us salvation, the sacrifice that gives us the resurrection and the ascension. But so now that he's reached the full, the full, the, 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 now that he's done all three of those things, now he has the ability to pour out this spirit because they've seen him and we've seen him in his glorious light. So all this happened before the resurrection. What it means is that his full splendor is seen in, in the cross, the resurrection, and the ascension. And then Acts 2 happens, the day of Pentecost, when the spirit comes, it says that rush came in like a sound, right? And filled the believer's Filled the disciples up. Because here's the truth. There is power for you, a river flowing, just like there was for the disciples. Well, Derek, I believe those things have ceased. Like, Derek, I believe those things have ceased. And I did too. I mean, I preached cessation theology, right? Cessation doctrine. Like, those things ceased with the disciples. But then I happened to read, read, be reading my Bible, because that's what Christians do, and came across this verse. Because I'm just like, if that is true, why would Paul write this? In 1 Corinthians 1, starting in verse 4, it says, I am always thanking my God for you because he has given you such free and open access to his grace through union with Jesus the Messiah. In him you have been extravagantly rich in every way. You have been endowed with wealth of inspired utterance. That includes, that includes preaching, prophecy, and tongues. Okay? And the riches that come from your intimate knowledge of him. 
Verse six, for the reality of the truth of Christ is seen among you and strengthened through your experience of him. So now you aren't lacking any spiritual gift and spiritual gifts can only come through the spirit as you eagerly await the unveiling or the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, the anointed one. So this is Paul saying these things will not cease until he returns to take his church home. My mind just went, (laughs) when I read that. It's like, well, I guess I can't deny it anymore. Can't do it. Can't do it. So I'm going to move on because it's enough of that. We've got a lot to get through, okay? If you have any questions about it, you can come talk to me afterward, okay? Verse, John chapter 7, verse 40, goes on to say, when the crowd heard Jesus' Jesus's words, some said, this man really is a prophet. Others said, he's the Messiah. But others said, how could he be the anointed one since he, since he is from uh, Galilee? Don't the scriptures say that he will be, be one of David's descendants and be born in Bethlehem? I guess they didn't get the memo that he was born in Bethlehem, the city of David. So the crowd was divided over Jesus, verse 43 says. And then some wanted, some wanted him arrested, but no one dared to lay a hand, hand on him. So when the temple guards returned to the Pharisees and the leading priests without Jesus, they were questioned, where is he? Why didn't you bring the man back to you? They answered, you don't understand. He speaks amazing things no one else has ever spoken. So even the guards were just like, whoa, 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 whoa. This is, you know, like there's something about this guy. And it goes on to say the religious leaders mocked, oh, so now you also have been led astray by him. Do you see even one of us, your leaders following him, um, this ignorant rabble swarms around him because none of them, them know anything about the law. They're all cursed. Just then, Nicodemus, who had secretly spent time with Jesus, spoke up, for he was a respected voice among them. And he, he cautioned them, saying, Does our law decide a man's guilt before, he's first, before he first hears him, uh, first hear him and allow him to defend himself? And they argued, Oh, so now you're an, an advocate for this Galilean. Uh, search the scriptures, Nicodemus. You'll, you'll see that there's no mention of a prophet coming out of Galilee. So with that, their debate ended. And they each went their own way. And I want you to notice while all this is going on, what happens next? Okay, so we're going to go into chapter 8. Chapter 8, starting in verse 1, says this. Jesus walked up to the Mount of Olives near the city where he, was, he spent the night. Then at dawn, Jesus appeared in the temple courts. So this is the next day. Temple courts again. And soon all the people gathered around him, listening to his words. So he sat down and taught them. Then in the middle of his teaching, the religious scholars and the Pharisees broke through the crowd and brought a woman who had been caught in the act of committing adultery and made her stand in the middle of everyone. First of all, I want to ask the question, where's the dude? You know what I'm saying? Because it takes two to tango. And actually, the, the law actually says that both the man and the woman should be stoned. Not just the woman, but you'll see in a minute, they're just trying to trap Jesus. But I, I want to pause here just for a second and say, maybe you're here this morning and you feel like your life, all your shame, all your guilt, is just laid bare and everybody can see it. All right. Like you, you, you walked in here and you're like, you know what? My shame, my sin, there's like, you're, like all I feel is judgment. And, and, coming, and you feel like there's judging eyes, just like this woman, probably in the middle of this crowd. These, these guys have just said, listen, this is her sin. This is that woman here. You with me? You may be sitting here like you feel judged. You're like, I guess, why should I even, why should I even try? Why should I? And you're listening to these voices that you're not good enough, that you're not worthy, that you're unclean, that God would want nothing to do with you. And I want to tell you to stop listening to the voice 
and those around you and only listen to the voice of Christ. Because in fact, John 3.17 says, For I did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that through me the world will be saved. Jesus does not condemn you at all. The church has done a really bad job at, at preaching that. In fact, we've begun to condemn people because, because of things. And, said, and Jesus is saying, you know what? I, I came to save them, not to push them away. In fact, watch what, watch what Jesus does right here. It's pretty, it's pretty funny. All right. Then they said to Jesus, Teacher, we caught this woman in the very act of adultery. Doesn't Moses' law command us to stone to death a woman like this? And if I was that woman, I would have jumped up and smacked him. What do you mean a woman like this? You know what I'm saying? If I would have said that, say that something like that to Brittany, I think she would kill me. You know what I'm saying? What kind of woman are you? Tell us what do you say we should do with her? In verse 6 it says, They were only testing Jesus because they, were, they hoped to trap him with his own words and accuse him of breaking the laws of Moses. But Jesus didn't answer them. Instead, he simply bent down and wrote in the dust with his finger. And there's been, like, debates on what Jesus was writing in the sand. Nobody really knows, okay? But I do believe that this moment was kind of prophesied about in the Old Testament because in Jeremiah 7.13 it says, O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who forsake you shall be put to shame. Those who turn away from you shall be written in the earth. For they have forsaken the Lord, the the fountain of living water. They have forsaken the God they serve for for the law. Because even in the Old Testament, grace still abounded. You with me? Going on, it says in verse 7, angry, they kept insisting that he answer the question. So Jesus stood up, looked at them and said, let's have the man who, who who has never had a sinful desire, who has not sinned, throw the first stone at her. And then he bent over again and wrote some more words in the dust. Upon hearing that, her accusers, let me tell you who your accuser, Satan is your accuser. Jesus is not accusing you. If you feel a voice, if you feel hear an accusation, accusational voice, that's not Jesus condemning you. That's Satan trying to convince you not to turn to him. Upon hearing that her accusers slowly left the crowd one at a time because when Jesus is part of your life, the devil has no room to make accusations against you because you are wiped clean. Upon hearing that her accusers slowly left the crowd one at a time, beginning with the oldest to the youngest, with a a convicted conscience, until finally finally Jesus was left alone with a woman still standing there in front of him. I don't know if notice this but this woman is standing and Jesus is now at this woman's feet it's huge the savior of the world the very one who had the right to condemn and the authority to condemn is bowed at this woman's feet until finally Jesus was left alone with the woman still standing there in front of him so he stood back up and said to her dear woman where are your accusers is there no one, no one here to condemn you? Looking around, she replied, I see no one, Lord. <laughs> Jesus said, then certainly I don't condemn you either. Go, and from now on, be free from your life of sin. Jesus wants to set you free today. So I don't know how you walked in here. You may have been a believer. You've just been like, you know, I just don't, I've been struggling. And well, guess what? He's saying, 
go and sin no more. God, I'll go and be my child. He's saying, don't, don't live in that doubt anymore. Don't live in those things. Like, I want to set you free today. And maybe you're here this morning and you're like, yeah, I don't even know if I'm a believer in Jesus. And listen, I'm so glad you're here because Jesus wants you to know Jesus wants me to tell you that he, for, he, he forget, He's already forgiven you and He wants you to be His child too. And there's freedom for you this morning. There's freedom for you. However you walked in here, whether you're born to, on, the, on the altar singing Amazing Grace or you're born in, a, born in a crack house with a needle coming out your arm, however you came in here this morning, God is saying, go and sin no more. Be free from the very chains that hold you be free. Be free. Are you thirsty? Do you want something that can make that difference? Is Jesus? You're not going to be able to do it yourself. You're not. It's not that new job. It's not those kids getting straightened out. It's, it's not any of that. None of that stuff's going to help. The only thing that's going to help is that you hunger and thirst after righteousness. You hunger and thirst after Jesus. And oh boy, what will happen when your life is com- completely changed forever? Completely changed forever. And today's a little bit different. We're not, we don't have a song afterward. We're not doing any of that. But here's what I want you to do. Like, we have all afternoon. After you go slide a couple times, climb the rock wall, if you, whatever decision you're making today, tell somebody, today I'm turning my life around. I'm being thirsty for Jesus. So here's the altar. I'm going to pray. Then I'm going to stay right here just for a few minutes. If you want to do that before we go outside and pray, you can do that. If play, you can do that. Or just come, come find me because I, I want to celebrate life change with you. you. With me? Dear Heavenly Father, we want to thank you so much that you are a God who fulfills his promise. The promise of your spirit coming, the promise not only of the spirit of salvation, but the spirit and that, that seizes us with power to live our life. And God, I just pray over those in this room, God, that whatever decision is being made this morning, that you will manifest that and let them see that they're, they're, what they're doing is good and right and pleasing to you. God, I pray for the hearts of those in here that as they face tomorrow, as they go through Monday, that they are seized with power. They, they live a life that's blessed by you, that they see you in every way possible. God, I pray for them. Maybe they're standing here in this room today. They're praying. They're, they're God, God, you know how dirty I am. And, God, and you show them how clean you've made them. May we walk out of here believing the best is yet to come. And I pray all this in your name. Amen. Hey, thank you.